The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Trumpet Daily Show. I'm Sam Livingston, your guest host on today's program. If you have any comments for the show, you can email those td at thetrumpet.com. Watch us live every weekday at trumpetdaily.com. You can obviously listen to the show or download the podcast wherever uh, you get your podcasts from. If you want to request any of the literature, you can call our phone number one 930 I'm going to start today's show hitting on quite a few different stories. I think really coming through that and reviewing it this morning, we obviously are living in a crazy world that at times it feels surreal. The wheels are coming off. A lot of people, though, they're not watching. They're not watching and praying. And maybe you can continue avoiding the news for a while and and think everything is normal, just living your everyday life. But so many of these stories are starting to hit home. People won't be able to avoid it for very long or much longer. I wanted to start just highlighting some protests that have broken out in the little country of Israel over there in the Middle East. Now, these protests have been going on, I believe, for the past five or six weeks, but they just turned... Uh, pretty violent the last two or three nights. I was talking to uh, one of the employees at the office, our office over there in Jerusalem, Christopher Eames. He said the protests are the worst in Tel Aviv and Haifa, but he even, there were some protests outside of our office in Jerusalem. That office is located pretty close to where the president's residence and the prime minister's residence is in Jerusalem. This is from the Associated Press. It says, Israeli police on Wednesday fired stun grenades and water cannons at demonstrators who blocked a Tel Aviv highway and protesters scuffled with police near the Israeli leader's home as weeks of anti-government protests turned violent for the first time. In a late-night incident, dozens of police were called in to extract Netanyahu's wife from a salon besieged by protesters. Thousands across the country staged a National Disruption Day the latest in a string of mass protests against Netanyahu's plan to overhaul Israel's judiciary and weaken the country's Supreme Court. Now, Brent Nogtegal, he's written quite a bit about this over the past few years, how the Israeli Supreme Court has really been used uh, kind of like the deep state in the United States or the intelligence community. It's weaponized against uh, the conservatives. It's weaponized against Netanyahu and I was talking to Chris a little bit this morning, and a lot of people, even liberals, recognize how undemocratic that Supreme Court over there, that judicial system, is behaving. So Netanyahu is trying to reform this, and all of these protests are triggered by a lot of fake news exaggerating what Netanyahu is trying to do. And they are releasing their shock troops. They're releasing their protesters there to try to take down Netanyahu, similar to how the left uses BLM or Antifa in the United States. This article from Lee Smith is very insightful. It's titled, Biden Sets Israel on Fire. He just published this yesterday. 
It says U.S. support for demonstrations in Tel Aviv isn't about the future of Israel's judiciary. It's about handcuffing Israel while Iran gets the bomb. It says, is the current Israeli, well, I just talked about how they're lying about what Netanyahu is doing to reform the Supreme Court, but really what these protests are about, and as Lee Smith brings out here, this is all being orchestrated and incited by Obama. The same way they do it, they're using the same playbook they use in the United States and, and as Obama has done in other Middle East countries to try to depose a leader that he doesn't want in office. Lee Smith says, the fact that this blueprint is designed in Washington, D.C., gives courage and direction to the demonstrators acting out their color revolution fantasies on the ground in Tel Aviv. And it's evidence that Bibi is in Washington's crosshairs for regime change has to come to Israel. He talks about the tactics that Obama would use to incite these sorts of protests. He says, betting that Netanyahu will continue to sit on his hands is not a strategy. Now he's talking about uh, confronting Iran because they are just days or weeks away from getting a nuclear bomb. Drudge was blasting that headline a couple days ago. Netanyahu obviously is emboldened by uh, the previous elections, and they're worried that he's going to confront Iran. So they're trying to handcuff him with these protests, trying to get him out of office. Smith writes, so the Obama officials running Biden's Middle East policy are set on bringing down Bibi. Their instrument is his domestic opposition galvanized to thwart his proposed judicial reforms, just like they do in the United States. They talk about how this is an authoritarian takeover. This is the end of democracy in Israel. We have to stop Netanyahu. And you can tell that that's a sign they're getting desperate and that they're losing power very similar to what's happening in the United States. And like I said, Brent Noctegal has written quite a bit about that over the years. Smith writes, The anti-Netanyahu coup looks and feels like the anti-Trump operation because it's run by the same people, the Obama operatives who hunted Trump and now run the Biden White House. It was Obama's spy chiefs who fabricated Russiagate, the politically funded smear campaign designed to destabilize the Trump presidency, and it's Obama's State Department that created the machinery to take down Netanyahu nearly a decade ago by funding anti-Netanyahu election campaigns with US, ta U.S. taxpayer dollars. And he gets into how a lot of these protest movements are being funded by the U.S. government. He concludes, Obama's button men have, been made, have made the Get Netanyahu machinery a permanent part of the Israeli political landscape. It's how they dress their never-ending Iran deal campaigns in the garb of domestic Israeli politics. And think about this, again, in the context of America Under Attack. We have that book here. You can request it online, tdatthetrumpet.com. But it talks about how Obama took out Mike Flynn, and a lot of that revolved around what Flynn knew about the Iran nuclear deal. And Obama wants to preserve that deal at all costs, to, to the extent that they will organize coups against our allies in Israel. Mr. Fleury writes in America Under Attack, this whole disgraceful episode was orchestrated by Barack Obama to protect the Iran nuclear deal. This is talking about how they attacked Michael Flynn. Mr. Fleury writes, the Iranians may not know that the Americans are literal descendants of ancient Israel, but they do label America the great Satan and the Jewish state the little Satan. They want to blot these nations out. 
and through his Iran nuclear deal, Barack Obama was helping them accomplish this goal. He was implying, you blot out the Jews and we'll blot out America. We'll blot out the name of Israel from under heaven by transforming America into a socialist state its founders wouldn't recognize. Another article that you could reference is from Mr. Brad McDonald. This is from February 2022. It's titled, Israel's Deep State is Being Exposed. Again, to get more details about the context of these protests going on over there right now. But it all traces back, like Mr. Fleury writes in America Under Attack, all roads lead to Barack Obama. Now, like I said at the start, I wanted to get through covering quite a few different stories, some of these from around the world uh, that have gathered up over the week. Uh, Earlier this week in the United Kingdom, Matt Hancock, you'll remember him from the early days of lockdown. He was the health secretary in the UK. Later, is forced to resign because he was breaching all of the rules that he imposed on the people like so many of these COVID authoritarians would do. Well, he's trying to as they all do, write his book so he can get uh, that payday from the book deal. And he's shared his phone with a journalist, and that phone contains 2.3 million words exchanged on his WhatsApp uh, text messenger. And that journalist has leaked those messages. I don't know what more is going to be in there. I mean, 2.3 million words, as uh, Mr. Palmer was telling us, Uh, That's twice the length of the Bible, so I don't know how long they're going to take going through some of these messages, but again, another moment where Hancock uh, just dumbly exposes himself. But in these messages, it's pretty revealing. He's texting uh, editors at like the Evening Standard or the Times, and he's trying to get them to drum up support for his policies. At one point, he set this goal of, well, you have to have 100,000 Uh, COVID tests per day. We want to meet that goal. So he would text the editors of these media companies and say, hey, we got to encourage people to get more tests. So then the the media guy would say, all right, well, give me something to write about and we'll publish it. We'll drum up some fear if you need it. And we'll get people over to the testing centers. That message exchange happened in April. That was just two or three weeks into the worst pandemic of, of the millennia or century. And people weren't out there testing. The government had to scare people into doing it. And here the government there is colluding with the media. Reading some of those exchanges is so revealing because you just see how these leaders would interact. First of all, it's unusual to see the prime minister, his health secretary, all of these other top uh, ministerial positions texting on on a WhatsApp policy directions for their country. I I probably wouldn't uh, want that written down if I was doing that. I would want to meet in person. So now all of this is cataloged, and it's very juvenile, the way they would talk to one another, and just on a whim, they would come up with these rules and regulations not based on any science. Also in the United Kingdom, there was a story about this autistic boy who lost a bet and he had he the bet was that he would bring a Quran to school and he accidentally drops this Quran and it gets a scuff on it well he's been suspended they're talking about prosecuting this boy and his mother for defiling the Quran as if there aren't bigger problems to deal with in that country i mean they just coddle to that uh, group in that country 
Hosea describes Britain as a silly dove. I mean, these stories highlight that like nothing else. Moving back over to the United States, quite a few more stories coming out about the air quality in East Palestine. This is from the CBS affiliate. It says, East Palestine residents experiencing unusual symptoms, calling it chemical bronchitis. There are these videos of these people, their, their voices are changing because the chemicals are irritating their throats. Uh, I won't play the clip, but the EPA administrator was there, and someone asked him, would you allow your kids anywhere close to the streams right now, these little streams that would run through the town where kids would go and play? And he just looked at them and said, I would not send them there. Uh, the governor, he went down to visit. He said they're going to have to move 30,000 truckloads of contaminated dirt away from that site. So you, you read these stories and you think about what they said two days after that train derailment, two or three days, all right, it's safe to return home. We've burnt off this huge brew of chemicals. We don't know how they're going to interact with each other because we've never really combined them like that and then set them all on fire. And the water's safe, the air is safe, you can return home. And now you've got the EPA saying, I wouldn't play near the streams, which the streams uh, run to the water source. Then you've got uh, the toxicity in the air. This is a report from Texas A&M. They have sent some researchers up there. It says a report from Texas A&M says toxic air pollutants in East Palestine could pose long-term health risks. Last week, researchers from Texas A&M conducted air quality tests. When researchers compared their findings to data from the EPA, they found the levels of 9 out of 50 chemicals the EPA reported are higher than normal. Scientists say if these levels continue, they may be of health concern. <laughs> Just common sense, and it takes three, four weeks after it happens for the experts, for the officials to get in there and to tell everybody, uh, you know, it might not be safe. How can you trust the experts anymore? I mean, just common sense. You look at the interviews of those people returning to their homes, and none of them trusted what was being said. I mean, really, you think it's safe to go back in there after hundreds of thousands of gallons of toxic chemicals just leaked into this stream right by the railroad tracks? Like I said earlier, just a lot of stories that highlight how crazy this world is getting. Um, over in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, that extreme radical left mayor, she lost the election there. Uh, the way they do it there is uh, you have a lot of candidates run at first. If one candidate gets more than 50% of the vote, then they automatically win. If no candidate gets 50%, then the top two candidates go to a runoff. Lori Lightfoot lost horribly. She only got 17% of the vote, so she's not even going to make it to that runoff election. Two other guys have made it. The Chicago Sun-Times said, Lightfoot is suffering the ultimate political humiliation. An incumbent mayor not only denied a second term, she couldn't even make it to the runoffs. And of course, Lightfoot is blaming racism and sexism for her loss. She says, I'm a black woman in America, of course, when asked by a reporter if she had been treated unfairly. I mean, all of those white supremacists and sexist bigots in Chicago voted her out of office, apparently. I mean, this, a lot of people are saying, well, really, nothing's going to change. Both the people that won, they're also 
staunch Democrats. I doubt the machine in Chicago would ever let a true conservative win. But you see that the people do want change. Obviously, they're concerned about crime. They elected uh, the leader there who won that runoff by, I think he had 37, 38% of the vote. He's known as the tough on crime guy. He's close to the police union. I mean, the people want it, but I highly doubt much will change, similar to the elections that happened in uh, San Francisco and New York City recently. Um, another story here. <laughs> this one's just crazy. John Fetterman, he's been hospitalized for two to three weeks now. Apparently, he is co-signing legislation and writing letters to uh, or along with other politicians, which is pretty interesting because you generally need to be in your office or present to do these sort of things. His staff issued a, a memo talking about how they're going to continue working on his behalf. So you've got uh, another fake politician who ran. Everybody knew he was ill and he was sick, and he's not even a capable of doing the job. He's got a group of technocrats doing it for him. He's been in the hospital since February 15. I think I, I don't, he's in there for clinical depression. I don't know if he's on suicide watch or anything like that. But you have to wonder, well, how is that, how is he in a right state of mind to pass legislation? Well, he's got people in Washington, D.C. taking care of that for him. Another corrupt scandal, Cori Bush. She's a representative. She's part of the squad. Uh, these these Democrats are very smart at how they make their money off of campaigns. Generally, campaign donations have to be used for uh, campaigning. You're not supposed to be able to profit off of campaign donations. Cori Bush, she gets all of these donations to run. She uses $60,000 to pay for private security. She pays a man who's not even technically licensed to provide security and then a couple weeks later ends up marrying him. So what a fortunate turn of events. You get to pocket some of that money. I mean, that's like a small scale of what BLM and some of these larger groups do. But they, they hire their consultants, and then you find out the consultants are their sister-in-law or something like that. And the, the money, that campaign money, is just being kept in the family. Never stop coming up with the creative ways to profit off of campaign donations. Uh, another story here, this one's pretty disgusting. Uh, this is from NBC News. Maryland mayor resigns after he's arrested on 56 counts of child pornography, officials say. The mayor of College Park, Maryland, was arrested on dozens of counts of child pornography Thursday and resigned. Patrick Wohan, 47, was charged with 56 counts of child pornography. Uh, this this man is, he's called the mentor of Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg loves this guy. Uh, there's pictures of this mayor. He's frequently invited to the White House thanks to Pete Buttigieg. So all, all of this filth and corruption at the top of these power centers in America I mean, they're trying to normalize that sort of behavior. Mr. Hilliker's talked about that on Trumpet Hour. It's just disgusting when you think about what is going on at the top. Isaiah talks about the country being sick from the head all the way to the foot. Mr. Flurry recently 
Uh, went through some of those verses in Jeremiah. I'll just read through a couple of them. Jeremiah 5 and verse 26, For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. They overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. People are not upset about this. If anything, they're trying to normalize it. It's, I was surprised, you know, that the FBI, as corrupt as they are, still will prosecute this crime, will, still takes down some of their own. Jeremiah 6 and verse 13. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone deals falsely. Jeremiah 7 and verse 28. But you shall say to them, This is a nation that obeys not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receives correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Truth is cast to the ground, as it says in Daniel 8. Jeremiah 8 and verse 5. Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. That phrase, they hold fast deceit. I mean, that's what we should be doing with the truth. We should be holding fast to the truth. But in this country, in modern Israel, they hold on to sin. They love that way of life. They hold fast to it. They won't compromise, and they'll attack anybody that contradicts them. That's the reality of what is happening in this country. Isaiah 1 and verse 6. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. It's just disgusting. It's, it's, it's gross. And as it says there, they have not been closed, neither bound up. There's not even an attempt to fix it. It's like they're proud of that filth. They declare those sins as Sodom. I mean, that's what God thinks of it. It is a putrefying sore. And, and many people just go along with it. A lot of the rhinos, a lot of these so-called Christians, they just, we just have to engage and debate. Maybe we can change people's minds. I mean, you look at the grotesque sins that these people are involved in. You can't reason with those minds. It's going to take God to sort all of this out. And I was just thinking about one uh, author. We used to quote quite a bit. His name is David French. He was pretty conservative seven, eight years ago, and then you could see him just inching a little bit closer. Well, we need to engage more with the opposing side. We need to try to see their point of view. We need to debate with them. We need to sit down and, and, and really try to reason out these differences. And then five, six years later, he is full on with with the radical left agenda. Now, he keeps that conservative Christian label at the New York Times, so it can appear that, you know, they present a diversified um, uh, or diverse views when he's just right in lockstep with them. And you get close to this world, you, that's going to corrupt you. You're not going to change it. Along with all of these stories about injustice, there is this one about New York City agreeing to pay Black Lives Matter protesters for violating their right to protest. 
New York City, this is from Fox News, would pay hundreds who were arrested during the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests thousands of dollars each as part of a proposed settlement in a class action lawsuit that accuses the city's police department of violations of their rights under the First, Fourth, and Fourteenth Amendments. The proposed settlement from the city specifically states that it's offering the compensation to individuals who are detained, arrested, and or subjected to force by police officers on June 4th at this specific location. And they're talking about giving these people $20,000 each. And of course, New York City, they're just going to settle it. Why would they want to fight against their own? Why not take that taxpayer money given to them and just dole it out and fund more of these protests? Meanwhile, the January 6th protesters who get charged with a misdemeanor, I don't even know if you would call it that because they didn't even know the Capitol grounds were closed off because the FBI agents went and rolled up all the fences and took down the no trespassing signs. So you walk up there, your aunt, grandma, she's getting arrested, some of them sentenced to jail, no compensation. I mean, their taxpayers pay for that building, pay for those grounds. Merritt Garland earlier this week, he came before a House hearing, uh, and it really was just a snooze fest. There are only a couple of Republicans who will at least call him out, and there's some good sound bites from that, but you wonder, well, when are you going to do something about it? Um, Merrick, or, uh, Holly was talking to him about the raid on that Catholic who was protesting outside of a, an abortion clinic, and we've spoken about that on this show before, but how there's such a, a vast difference in the application of the law. I mean, they took 20 to 30 agents to that man's house to arrest him in front of his seven children with, with automatic rifles that the left supposedly hates, unless they're being used against conservatives. And then when it comes to BLM, <laughs> they're getting payouts now. If you firebombed that courthouse in Portland, A-OK. You, you might even be compensated for being arrested or wrestled to the ground. I mean, you can see just how brazen and audacious they are in coming after Americans and using the system to attack the people. Fox News has been, well, they're generally in the news a lot because CNN and MSNBC don't have a lot else to talk about in the echo chamber, so they report a lot about what Fox says, and then Fox reports a lot about what CNN says. I don't want to come out and defend everything Fox News says, as I'll cover in just a second here, but it's funny in this Dominion lawsuit to hear now how CNN and MSNBC are reporting about what Fox did. This is a clip from Chris Hayes just last night. I mean, you want to talk about having the blinders on. I don't know if he's genuine here or if he's just a brazen liar, but listen to this clip, clip four. Chris Hayes, amid the fallout from the explosive revelations that Fox News hosts and executives knowingly and deliberately spread lies in the wake of the 2020 election, Democrats are stepping up to demand action. In a new interview with The Washington Post, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut laid out the stakes this way, quote, I don't think we've ever had a moment like this where a major news network has been exposed as deliberately deluding its viewers or readers. This is a seminal moment in the history of mass media, and we need to treat it that way. He added, quote, we need to be in the business of communicating the gravity of what happened, noting that Democrats must be very clear about how manipulative Fox executives and hosts are and that they rely on deliberately lying as a means to get ratings and to keep viewers hooked in. 
It's a pretty important point, I think. And we now have clear evidence in black and white that it doesn't. It's not a legitimate news network. The filings in Dominion Voting Systems' lawsuit against Fox prove once and for all it is fundamentally a propaganda arm of the conservative movement and a deceitful, money-chasing one at that. Fox has such a monopolistic hold on its viewers. And they know this. Recently, it seems like they might even be using that fact to taunt the rest of us. I mean, just in the way he reports that is deceitful. Notice that they don't read the details of the lawsuit like Mr. Fleury did a couple days ago, where those Dominion experts are talking about the flaws in their own machines. But, I mean, how rich is that? What was that, that clip there from Chris Murphy? I don't think we've ever had a moment like this where a major news network has been exposed as deliberately deluding its viewers or readers. Now, that's not even accurate as to what was going on there. Uh, Murdoch, yeah, he's a never-Trumper now, but they just, he didn't believe the story. But Tucker Carlson was saying, we've got to cover this. People want to hear about this story. And then Chris Hayes is there, oh, it's all for the ratings. They'll say anything to get the ratings. Tucker's saying, yeah, it's good for our share prices because this is what the vast majority of people are interested in and CNN and MSNBC won't cover it. We're responsible to talk about it. And yeah, it is going to help our share prices. If that's what you have to say to Murdoch to get him to agree to talk about it, go ahead. But if Murdoch disagrees, oh, they published brazen lies. Again, most of Fox News totally goes along with the real big lie that the election was totally safe and secure. I mean, you want to talk about, let's get to the Steele dossier and how CNN and MSNBC were just journalists for hire. They knew they were lying. They knew what the government was feeding them wasn't true. We'll talk about more of that in a few minutes. This is Chuck Schumer's response to that same story, clip five. I feel this passionate. You know, our democracy has been at greater risk than it has ever been. And probably the number one reason is that people are losing faith in the veracity, the reliability of our elections. You know, but what caused this? Above all, it was, the, it was Fox News and their uh, lack of fidelity to the truth of their spreading of the big lie, it seems now for mercenary reasons. But Fox News is the perpetrator eyes. Rupert Murdoch is caught in deposition saying that he knew they were lies. He knew that they shouldn't have gone on and he regrets it. Well, regret is not enough. So leader Jeffries and I sent him a letter saying, now you've got to go the next step if you regret it. You've got to tell the, the Tucker Carlson's, you've got to tell the Ingrahams and all the others to first admit they were lies and start telling the truth. Will he go along? We don't know. We haven't heard from him yet. And, you know, if he doesn't, we'll have to see what else we can do. This lie is the worst lie that has been told in the history of our democracy, as long as I can tell. The worst lie in the history of our democracy. We'll talk about, again, a little bit later. But just that spirit of lying, we know where that emanates from. But look at, it's, they're going all out against Fox News right now. And it seems like that lines up pretty well with Tucker Carlson receiving a lot of that January 6th footage. I mean, like Chris Hayes said, it's almost like the Fox News is taunting us now. These people are desperate for ratings. CNN is in, they won't reveal it. It's panic over there because they can't get people to watch. The latest Nielsen ratings, primetime averages, primetime average viewership for January 2023. 
CNN, 580,000 viewers per show. MSNBC, 1.16 million. Fox News average, 2.26 million. More than CNN and MSNBC combined. And you almost have a million left over. I mean, they can't even compete. So what they say is, well, if that's what people want, it must be lies. It must be Russian disinformation. It must be a foreign influence campaign. I mean, everybody now is hopping up. We have to crush Fox News. And I, would, I, I don't think Fox News comes close to going far enough in exposing these people for how much money they have and how many resources they have, how much they could expose. Nina Jankowitz, you'll remember her. She's the, the, uh, the disinformation board uh, leader who had to resign. She's even getting in on the lawsuits. This is clip six. My name is Nina Jankowitz. I'm asking for your financial support of a lawsuit I want to bring against Fox News for their malicious, reckless lies against me. On March 2nd, 2022, I began a job leading a new entity within the Department of Homeland Security called the Disinformation Governance Board. After my position was announced, baseless claims that the board was an Orwellian Ministry of Truth and I was President Biden's chief censor spread, even though the board had nothing to do with arbitrating or restricting speech. Fox News launched overly personalized, false, and incendiary coverage of me, mainstreaming online conspiracy theories to tens of millions of Americans. They lied about my role. It was hired to police domestic social media use, period. It is now the administration's official purveyor of truth. They lied about and completely manufactured my past statements. How chilling is it that this disinformation czar thinks it's okay for her to edit your speech? They called me a liar. Nina Jankowitz is a conspiracy theorist who wants all Americans to believe her twisted opinions and lies are facts. Was one of the biggest perpetrators and purveyors of disinformation in the entire country. Read a bunch of lies somebody handed to her on a card because she's a useful idiot. They called me crazy. Fox can't keep getting away with targeting Americans with their hateful rhetoric and lies. Trying to silence professionals doing their jobs is not journalism. It's vigilantism, and it's ruining lives. That's why I'm seeking justice. So please, donate what you can and share this with anybody who believes in fighting for the truth. That video, that was a five-minute sob story. I went through and I edited it down to the most concise bits there. That was pathetic. I mean, she she wants to run. It's, she's going to work for the government. It's public office, and she can't take the criticism. She should have thought about that before she went on singing her Mary Poppins song about Rudy Giuliani and posted on Instagram. You're asking for it. And now she goes and plays victim. It's another lawsuit. The funniest part, though, is each time she would say Fox News said this about me, she'd play a clip that had from Fox News that had nothing to do with what she was talking about. So I hate using the term. It's a bit snowflakey over there. Uh, she, Everybody, though, is lining up for the lawsuits. I was so wronged by Fox News. What about Carter Page? What about Michael Flynn, who had to spend millions of dollars in lawsuits, had to sell his house, the FBI is threatening his kids, every lawsuit he gets or, or gets thrown out from the court, you lack standing. Carter Page can't get uh, reconciliation anywhere. What about those people? She helped destroy their lives peddling that Russian lie.
and a lot of them, it seems like they're coming down on Fox News because Tucker Carlson has got something with all of that footage. Here's clip seven. So the defenders of democracy are out defending democracy again. They're telling you it's really, really dangerous. And anyone would get to see the thousands of hours of surveillance footage from January 6th, which has been hidden from the public for two years, as a tiny group of people gets to make up stories about what happened that day and change the country on the basis of those stories. And we respectfully disagree. We think people should, in a democracy, be allowed to see what their government is doing and get as much evidence as they can. And it turns out the public agrees. Rasmussen, the polling firm, just found that 80% of American voters believe it's important that the public should be allowed to see the videos from January 6th. That would include 86% of Republicans, okay, but it would also include 78% of Democrats, 78% and 75% of independents. Wow. So you're defending democracy, but you're denying people information on the basis of which they can make their own decisions. How does that work exactly? Well, it's not democracy, of course. It's building a bulwark against your lies being revealed. And they are lying. And we know that because we've been looking at the tape. Defending democracy, but denying people information. I wouldn't even say they're denying information. They're just lying to them. They're giving them fake news to try to manipulate them. It sounds like when you look at this Dominion lawsuit, just the news pointed out how HBO ran two documentaries prior to the 2020 election talking about Dominion machines. They brought in that leftist, I don't have his name here, Hursty, um, and he hacks these machines. And the whole thrust of those documentaries is be prepared for Republicans to manipulate elections because these machines are very, very vulnerable. I mean, those shows. I mean, you watch that and you do not trust America's elections. If, if you're like Chuck Schumer, Fox News peddled the biggest lie this country has ever seen. Go watch Kill Chain. I mean, that's a left wing documentary. And you want to talk about undermining democracy. That, that show will do it for you. You can't trust these machines. He's left wing. That video is still up there. Dominion, as of yet, has not filed a lawsuit against them because they're Democrats. So they can say whatever they want. Fox News reports pretty much exactly the same thing that's covered in that Kill Chain documentary. It's a $1.7 billion lawsuit. We're dealing with so many lies. Mr. Fleury writes in America under attack. That is because times are different. You can't, ex this is talking about swooning over uh, Barack Obama and how the media are not doing their jobs. He says, you can't explain this kind of unprecedented unprecedentedly open, brazen deceit unless you go to the Bible and realize that Satan has been cast down and that his influence is greater than ever. This is terribly dangerous. This is a terribly dangerous trend. People using lies to achieve political ambitions, to impose a radical agenda on others, and to destroy people's lives. And so much will worship. Barack Obama, he could get away with anything. I mean, they don't care about the voter. They're not afraid of the American public. There was that clip yesterday of Joe Biden. There's this woman, she was crying about uh, her two boys. They were killed by fentanyl overdose. And then Biden is talking about her and pretty much just says, yeah, but that fentanyl they took, that was from the past, that came over during the last administration. And then he laughs about it. Still doesn't do anything to help that mother, doesn't care 
about trying to win her vote or even comfort her in any way, just mocks them. You look at how, again, brazen the lies are. <laughs> they have all of their, their media operatives working for them, Washington Post, editorial board. Biden overreached on student loans, but the court shouldn't stop him. They agree that it's wrong, but then they say, well, the court shouldn't stop him because the lawsuits brought against Biden's loan forgiveness plan, well, they were brought forth by Americans who were not, uh, they lack standing. That's their argument. They lack standing. The U.S. taxpayer, who, Biden is using the taxpayer money to pay off the loans for these students who agreed to take out these huge, gigantic loans. And then the Washington Post article, the American taxpayer lacks standing in this incident and should that case should be totally dismissed. You can't be allowed to challenge the government. Washington Post again, Trump can be sued by police over January 6th riot. Justice Department says, again, it's lawfare. They're, they want to bog these institutions down. They want to bog down Fox News. They want to bog down Donald Trump. Lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. This is from uh, the Justice Department's civil division. They wrote, but that traditional function is one of public communication. It does not include incitement of imminent private violence. So there it is. The Justice Department has concluded that Donald Trump can be sued for inciting or can be sued for inciting a riot. Just crazy how the government is being used against the people. This other Washington Post article, I did want to spend a little bit more time going through it. It's titled, Showdown Before the Raid, FBI Agents and Prosecutors Argued Over Trump. Now, in this case, the FBI, they're worried about optics, uh, the way it works, the, the tier system, you've got prosecutors. They answer to the attorney general and the Department of Justice. There is the FBI headquarters office, which is in Washington, D.C., and that's a separate entity from the Washington FBI field office, which would handle uh, the cases in that area, but the FBI headquarters just happens to be there. Um, so what this boils down to is these prosecutors, Merrick Garland, Joe Biden, Barack Obama's probably in there. They're saying we need to raid Trump's house. The leader of the Washington field office is saying, I, I think that's too much. I don't want to go in and do that. So they spend weeks arguing about this. It, start, it says here from the Post, starting in May, FBI agents in the Washington field office had sought to slow the probe, urging caution given its extraordinary sensitivity. Some of those field agents wanted to shutter the criminal investigation altogether in early June after Trump's legal team asserted a diligent search had been conducted and all classified records had been turned over. So here they are. They don't want to get involved in this again. They can see how political it is. And then, <laughs> it's hilarious, month later, Joe Biden is caught doing something far worse. But this article brings out how it was the prosecutors, it was the Merrick Garland's, who kept pushing the FBI to do this. The Post says, The idea of closing the probe was not something that was discussed or considered by FBI leadership. It says, While the FBI tends to have great discretion in day-to-day -day conduct of investigations, it is up to prosecutors to decide whether to file criminal charges. And like the prosecutors, the director of the FBI ultimately reports to the attorney general. 
The Mar-a-Lago case was unusual, not just for its focus on a former president, but in the way it was closely monitored at every step by senior Justice Department officials. And those clips I didn't play at Garland's hearing, he talks about how we, we leave it up to the discretion of the field office because they're on the ground, they're closest to the incident on how to handle uh, carrying out you know, a warrant or a search. But here, in this case, when it comes to Trump, those decisions are being made at the highest offices. Merrick Garland is involved. Joe Biden is involved. No doubt Barack Obama is directing that. Then there's the, the point where Trump handed over these documents, and then the FBI is still saying, all right, let's leave it at that. Let's not turn this into something bigger than it needs to be. Again, these are the field agents saying that, the, the less corrupt tier of the FBI. But then the, the prosecutor said, no, keep pushing. The Post says, the government sought surveillance video footage by a subpoena in late June. It showed someone moving boxes from the area where records had been stored not long after Trump was put on notice to return all such records. So the way this reads, it sounds like there's a bit of a setup here. They ask Trump, hey, go return or go collect the documents that you have. He says he does it. And then they say, well, we don't think you have everything. So they get a subpoena. And they say, hand over the surveillance footage, which shows officials going into the room and collecting the, the documents, moving boxes. But then they say, oh, well, there they are moving the boxes. There's got to be more to it. So then that's how they justify getting the, 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 the other search warrant to go in. And again, at every stage here, those field agents are saying, we, we don't want to do a surprise raid. We want to have his lawyers there. Instead, all they do is alert the Secret Service a couple hours beforehand that they're going to be there. But everything in this article is led by Barack Obama. It's led through the Obama White House. Along those same lines, Matt Taibbi posted another cluster of Twitter files. This is his 17th. I think there are more. This one is, is again, pretty interesting in this context. Essentially, the United States spent tens of millions of dollars monitoring Americans online, flagging them as contributing to foreign disinformation, and then they would leak those reports to the media to try to pressure Twitter and Facebook into banning those accounts because Twitter and Facebook disagreed with the government's assessment that these were foreign entities. This all would be funneled through a group called the Global Engagement Center or the GEC. Now, they have over $100 million in funding, and what they would do is pay third-party groups to uh, research these Twitter accounts, and they, anything that contradicted the message from Obama or Washington, D.C., they would attack as be something that was being amplified by foreigners, by Russia, by Saudi Arabia. And what that did was it gave them the option for the NSA and the CIA to get involved. But then when they would hand over these lists of accounts to Twitter officials, even the radicals at Twitter would say, these are American accounts and they're authentic. We're not going to flag them. Yoel Roth, I spot checked a number of these accounts and virtually all appear to be real people but the government needed them to be foreign actors so that they could use all of the power of the United States and bypass the Constitution because that doesn't apply to foreigners 
get around the Fourth Amendment and go after these people. But then when Twitter and Facebook wouldn't react, would say, hey, these are, these are American accounts, the government would then leak those reports to the Washington Post, to Politico, to the New York Times. And then those journalists would say, Twitter, Facebook, why are you allowing these foreign disinformation campaigns on, the, on your platform? So they would build up pressure that way, very similar to what uh, the Clintons and Obamas did with the Steele dossier. Matt Taibbi says, just like Hamilton 68, these are some of these third-party groups that would publish fake news funded by the government. He says, foreign cyber threats exist, and there are sophisticated ways of detecting them, but the GEC and its subcontractors don't use those, instead deploying junk science that often lumps true bad actors in with organic opinion. Crush dissent. Anything that goes against what we say needs to be smeared, needs to be a foreign disinformation campaign. And this is all being funded by U.S. taxpayers. And, and they, would, they would insulate themselves by hiring those third-party contractors. This is a quote from a book called Spooked. This is by a New York Times journalist named Barry Meyer, and he's exposing how the Steele dossier was misused by the media. He says what that means is that the two-tiered system of justice in the United States isn't simply one in which the poor go to prison and the rich face lighter punishment, if any, for similar crimes. It is also one in which the powerful, aided by their lawyers and private operatives, have a substantial impact on the cases authorities decide to prosecute. When authorities don't respond quickly, lawyers or their clients can turn to another tactic. They find a friendly reporter and plant a story about a budding investigation as a way of trying to pressure prosecutors into action. Journalists refer to the technique as front-running or getting out ahead of a story's facts. Now, the government was doing this to try to pressure Twitter, to try to pressure Facebook. The same way Steele and Glenn Simpson and Clinton would try to pressure the FBI. Well, the media is saying this, and it's just all of this big echo chamber. Now, Twitter knew that these were lies. They were probably intimidated, fear of being regulated or being exposed themselves. They don't want to go to war with the deep state, so they're complicit. Meyer says in his book, Jobs get farmed out through chains of contractors and subcontractors in an effort to insulate the beneficiary of material that was hacked or obtained through sleazy means. So the GEC, they'll be totally fine because all they did, just innocently trying to prevent disinformation, they hired some third-party contractors. And we didn't vet their work because they have all of these credentials. And we, we leaked that to the media. We're totally insulated from what went on here. What is that? What did Hunter Biden and his uh, colleagues say? The plausible deniability. They always give themselves an excuse. They're laundering lies. They clean it up through these third-party contractors. Then they say there's a government report. The government's looking into this, and the Washington Post goes and publishes it, and then Twitter feels the pressure, the pressure to act, the pressure to censor Americans. And so many lies happening in our country. I didn't have time to get to this story about Fauci and how there was the, the scientists that he emailed him and said, hey, this looks like it came from the Wuhan lab. 
This looks like it wasn't a natural evolution. And then the next day, after talking to Fauci, he comes out and says, the lab leak theory is crazy. It's bonkers. There's nothing to it. Well, in one of these lawsuits, I think it's in Missouri, they're, they're getting through Fauci's documents. That scientist had funding from the NIH, from Fauci, of like, I think it was 500000 annually. And then after that email exchange, it bumps up to a million. So he's getting paid by Fauci to say what Fauci and, and Collins and all of them want them to say. Bury the truth. MSNBC, Chris Hayes, Chuck Schumer, they've got nothing to say about that. Nothing to say about those lies and how they ruined the United States and America under attack. Mr. Fleury says, lying is the modus operandi of these Obama-era era officials. They lie as a way of life. He says, this is a damning indictment against our media. These journalists have a critical responsibility to find out the truth and to inform the public. With Mr. Obama, they instead routinely gave fawning coverage. The mainstream media were practically bewitched. To this day, many journalists accept and promote what this man says, even when it is provably fa false. Because the media swooned over President Obama, he was never held accountable. He was able to amass enormous power to do virtually whatever he willed to do. The media were simply unwilling to challenge him. Well, in the short amount of time remaining, I wanted to point you back to that verse I read earlier, Jeremiah 9 and verse 3, where it says, And they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, says the Eternal. Be the opposite. Be valiant for the truth. Be brave. Be courageous. Be resolute. Ephesians 6 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Mr. Fleury says, get yourself wrapped up in the truth. Clothe yourself in the truth. It is a war, like Ephesians 6 says. It's a battle, and we have to hold on to the truth and fight for it. It won't be easy. Read America Under Attack if you haven't. War, again, is not easy. Hold fast to that truth. And look at how all of these events, they're all, they all prove how close we are to the return of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for watching us on today's show. Again, any comments, you can send those to td at thetrumpet.com. Mr. Flurry will be back with you again on Monday. Have a great weekend.